You may find yourself sitting beneath a sorting hat. You may find yourself in another part of the world. You may find yourself behind the wheel of a flying automobile. You may find yourself by Tom Riddle's house, giving Tom Riddle life. You may ask yourself, well, how did I get here? You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for talking heads. You have been taught how to duel, Harry Potter. We bow to each other, Harry. Come, the niceties must be observed. Dumbledore would like you to show manners. Bow to death, Harry. And now you face me like a man, straight-backed and proud, the way your father died. And now we duel! I'm Heather Price Wright. And I'm Alex Dallenberg. And that was the infamous, hotly debated Talking Heads reference that I was sure nobody would get and that I was given an earful on Facebook uh, and told, of course, everybody would get it because the Talking Heads are classic. And I know that. 30, just... 30% maybe, maybe 40% okay. of our listeners. I don't know. There's a there's a millennial boomer divide among the... Uh, no, I think that's but unfair I'm... because a lot of the millennials were like, I know the Talking Heads and that's just me. It's just me that doesn't know the Talking Heads that well. <laughs> so apologies for that. I suck on that front. Hi. Hey, everybody. This week, we are reading The Death Eaters and Priori Incantatum, and it's going to get weird. You will hear cursing, you will hear mega spoilers, and you will hear some adult themes. This week's adult themes are torture porn, supervillain rants, running into your friend's parents, good vibrations, and close calls. Alex, what happened this week? In... This week's chapters, Voldemort is back from not the dead. He's back from the undead, basically. He's He's got a body again. He's restored to corporeal form. He's feeling himself out. He's flexing his fingers. He's saying to Harry, do you even horcrux, bro? Harry and Lovo have a few awkward moments with Peter bleeding out in the graveyard. Voldemort calls uh, the worst all-hands meeting ever of the Death Eaters and chews everybody out for not returning to him. Lucius Malfoy is there. He says, uh, so, man, like, what have you been up to? Lovo says, let me tell you, and launches into a patented baddie monologue about how he has returned from... I, whatever the fuck he was. He says, You know, when I tried to kill Harry Potter, the spell rebounded on me because I didn't account for the whole mother's love thing. That left me in a really bad place for a long time, guys. Literally no place. He didn't know what he was. He wasn't dead. He was sort of this malevolent spirit that could possess rats and snakes and, uh, and, and things. So for 13 years, he was... Uh, he just kind of chilled. Yeah, he roamed was, the earth he was as like, a fucking like just haze of evil. Yeah, he, you know, he met up with Professor Quirrell at some point and possessed him. That got, failed spectacularly. Got to hang out in the back of his head. Tried to steal a sorcerer's stone. Basically, we get the recap of what Lovo was up to, the last three books. 
But eventually, one servant did return to him, Peter Pettigrew, which Boldy's not super grateful for. He's like, you only did it because you had to, even though I had no other options. I mean, Peter's not, Peter's not getting really his due here, I think, from, we're not thankful to Peter. But, you know, he's got a point when he says, hey, man, I had your back. Or lack of back when <laughs> I had whatever you were. <laughs> I had whatever yeah. it was you had instead of a back. Yeah. So Peter, with help from some rats, relocated Voldemort in the forests of Albania. Why he decided to go to Albania, I'm not sure. Um, using Peter's help, he was able to regain like an almost human form, i.e. disgusting monster baby. Or is that E.G.? Is it I.G. or E.G.? I.E. Yeah, I.E. Disgusting monster baby fed with unicorn blood and snake milk, courtesy of Nagini. Peter Pettigrew got hungry one night and decided to go to, like, the Albanian Motel 6 or whatever, where he ran into Bertha Jorkins, kidnapped Bertha Jorkins, took her to Lord Voldemort, Actually, he didn't even kidnap her, really. He was like, let's go for a walk. And Bertha was like, all right, missing person who is part of this murder scheme, I will go on a walk with you. Um, poor Bertha. Took Bertha's Berth- an idiot. Yeah, she took Bertha, Bertha. <laughs> took Bertha to Voldemort, who then extracted critical information about a an unnamed faithful Death Eater who could help him get to Harry Potter, because he needed Harry Potter for the crazy potion that we just witnessed in uh, the last episode of the Quibbler podcast. Yeah, so the Death Eaters are like, cool, cool, we've just been sneering at people and uh, having, you know, occasionally throw a little rally, but uh, we haven't been up to much. Voldemort tortures a few. Anyway, to make a long story even longer, Voldemort can touch Harry now because he got his blood, which imparts the magic protection to himself, too. So now now he can, like, do whatever the fuck he wants to Harry. So he says, Harry, we're going to have a duel. The only rule of dueling is that you bow in the wizarding world, basically. There might be other rules. I'm not sure. So Lord Voldemort's like, I'm going to prove to you all now that Harry Potter is not stronger than me. They have a duel. Voldemort says to bow. Harry's like, I'm not bowing to you. Voldemort makes him bow. He then proceeds to use the Cruciatus curse on him and then the Imperius curse to try to get him to beg for mercy, basically, Uh, which Harry successfully resists. This gets Voldemort real fucking pissed off, and he's like, let's finish this. Harry ducks the next Cruciatus curse behind a gravestone, resolves to go down fighting, just like his dad, comes out, thinks of the only spell he knows for dueling, Expelliarmus. At the exact same moment, Voldemort casts the killing curse, but instead of killing Harry, their wands are linked by this crazy golden light. There's Phoenix Song. There's like a super insane laser light show. They're imprisoned in a cage of light. There's some kind of bead that's like going along this light cord between the wands. All the Death Eaters are Did really... Did you say con- bee or bead? Bee. Bean. Oh. Bead. Bead. There's like this bead that's like kind of sliding along the cord of light between them. They're in a laser cage. All the Death Eaters are like re- shouting and really fucking confused, as is the reader. 
they're levitated off the ground and put onto a better area for this super insane climax. Both of their wands are getting really hot and shaking super hard as they like hold on to them. So Ugh. there's, yeah, you know, there's some more, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of Harry was holding his like white hot wand and it was like shaking so hard that he barely thought he could hold on. There's a lot of that. Ugh. So Voldemort and Harry cross swords. Um, <laughs> basically. Uh-huh. At some point, the bead goes back up into Voldemort's wand and it starts ejaculating like spell ghosts of previous spells that he cast, including a crazy silver hand that he gave to Peter to replace his amputated hand, which Peter celebrated by picking up a twig and showing it who's boss. I don't know. He's like, look at my amazing, powerful silver hand. I can crush tiny sticks now. (laughs) It's like the most lame Peter thing you could do. It's like, dude, Go to a gravestone and, like, I don't, crush the rock or something. He just picks up a twig? Anyway, there's a spell ghost of the hand. Then Cedric pops out, kind of like, not like quite Cedric, but sort of a gray, solid, wispy. It's like solid, but gray. I, I don't know. It's like the it's shade like of Cedric. It's cloud Cedric. Yeah, it's cloud, there's cloud Cedric. Then there's cloud Frank Bryce. There's cloud Bertha Jorkins. And... Then, but but uh, his motherfucking mom comes out of the wand, and then but 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 ba his motherfucking dad to help him fight off Lord Voldemort, and they're like, "Look, don't break the chain until we say we can hold Voldemort off for a few seconds while you get to the port key and get your ass back to Hogwarts." Harry's like, "Okay." I understand, against all odds, I understand. Cedric says, hey, look, Harry, I know you're real busy right now, but can you maybe grab my body and take it back to Hogwarts, too, while you're trying to run for your life? Harry's like, you know, it's the least I can do. Harry breaks the chain. Crazy army crawls toward the Cedric's body. Osseo's the port key and is teleported back to Hogwarts. And that's what happened in this week's chapters. So Yowza. Crazy. Totally crazy. Lovo is back. Girl's got a body. <laughs> what do we think of her debut beach bod? It's pale. It's really, it's like white. It's and really creepy. It's very creepy. And he's got like these long, scary fingers and this like these scary glowing red eyes. And it's all in all like pretty fucked up. But we have to admit that like there are parts of Voldemort's story that are like pretty fucking metal. My curse was deflected by the woman's foolish sacrifice and it rebounded upon myself. Ah. Oh. Pain beyond pain, my friends. Nothing could have prepared me for it. I was ripped from my body. I was less than spirit, less than the meanest ghost. But still, I was alive. What I was, even I do not know. I, who have gone further than anybody along the path that leads to immortality. You know my goal, to conquer death. And now, 
I was tested, and it appeared that one or more of my experiments had worked, for I had not been killed, though the curse should have done it. Nevertheless, I was as powerless as the weakest creature alive, and without the means to help myself, for I had no body, and every spell that might have helped me required the use of a wand. I remember only forcing myself sleeplessly, endlessly, second by second, to exist. I settled in a faraway place, in a forest, and I waited. Okay, that's pretty cool. Dude has a grit, He's as they say. He's got some fucking fortitude. Yeah, um... So he had this, like, fucking crazy story. First of all, it's hilarious that at some point they're just, like, he, he presses on the dark mark to have the Death Eaters summoned. And then he's, like, waiting for them, and he's just, like, killing time. <laughs> he just kind of turns to Harry, so and he's just like, hey, man, so, yeah, how's school going? <laughs> he talks about his dad. I know, but he just starts kind of blabbering just like, to yeah. him. He's like, yeah, this is where my dad lived. I, like, grew up around here. It's just like fucking small talk, but like villain small talk. <laughs> He's like, yeah, you know, I swore revenge on my father and then murdered him. You know I how had it a pretty, goes. Yeah, then I was raised in a muggle orphanage. Pretty... I had a pretty traumatic childhood, which led me to become evil. How about you? Yeah, so like that's about where I'm at. So we learn a little bit more about Lovo's background. His uh, dad was a muggle. His mom was a witch. Dad left mom, and she died in childbirth, birthing Voldemort. So naturally his solution was to come and murder his father's entire family. <laughs> because that guy makes great choices. Guy's, and, a, guy's a rage case. Yeah, he's a serious rage case. So, you know, we learn... There's this interesting trope of the bad guy being removed from his body and needing to, like, regain, like, corporeal form. The Voldemort story is really similar to like Sauron and the Ring. Like the Ring is basically a proto Horcrux. Sauron in the Lord of the Rings is like stashed away part of his life force in this ring. So when he gets killed, he's like not quite dead. And like the whole quest is to regain his body. Or even in like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon show, like Krang is always saying to Shredder, like, I need my body back, dog. Like, build me a new body. There's got to be, like, other cases where... I don't know. You know this particular, yeah. like, genre or, like, it's just set a, of genres it's better just, than I do. It's just interesting, like, badness being, like, removed from any, like, person and needing to, like, regain, like, shape. Like, they have all this crazy power, but they don't have, like, I don't know, hands and feet. <laughs> well, it's funny, the Sauron comparison, because, like, we think of him as, like, pretty fucking nefarious and evil. But Lovo is like, okay, let's take this, like, one ring idea. <laughs> what if I made, like, ten? Yeah. Young Tom Riddle, like, read Lord of the Rings, like, right when it came out. And, and was, was like, like, here's your mistake. <laughs> yeah. You made the one ring, you idiot. Make, like, a bunch of yeah. rings, except one of them is a crown, and one of them is a necklace, <laughs> one of them is a cup. It's, like, real badass that way. Hilarious. Well, it kind of does, like, lend to this idea that evil is its own thing. It's, like, a an entity, like, 
because evil can sort of exist in the world outside of human trappings. He literally exists as just like a malevolent like puff of smoke for like 13 years in this really terrifying way because it's like the essence. It's kind of scary that we kind of see that the essence of evil is like has a little more staying power than the essence right. of good. Which why I think Voldemort is scariest when he's not on stage in I agree. all of these in all of these books. He starts to he's pretty scary at first I think in these chapters because you know we've been waiting and waiting and waiting for this moment and when he's back you're thinking oh damn this is the most powerful wizard ever what's he going to do? But I mean it's the same way going back to like the Lord of the Rings comparison that well, Sauron never comes on stage. He's just this metaphorical eye. In the movies, he's like just a fucking eye, which is sort of lame. But he's never in the books, so he's always like peak scary. But if you brought him on, he would like immediately lose his effectiveness because the idea of the disembodied evil is much more frightening than Snake Man just being a dick to you. Yeah. Well, also, he just like immediately falls into this like incredibly – He's almost comic. He's so flashy. Yeah. And so, like, rude in he's, this chapter. He's very entitled. He is really entitled. Like he's bullying Wormtail around. He's like, yeah, Wormtail, you came back, but why didn't you come back faster? Yeah. And Wormtail's like, I just literally gave you my arm. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, dude. I'm, like, doing okay, servant-wise. And I guess that's part of the, like, abusive charisma of people like, Voldemort where you just can never satisfy them so you're just always trying to go above and beyond so like if Voldemort ever was like yeah nice work dog the, you, he would the, lose rage, his effectiveness the rage Ponzi would like collapse you know yeah so speaking of the people that like he's a dick to the Death Eaters come back yeah for a board meeting <laughs> basically I have a lot of questions about like their org chart why I am growing quite sentimental. But look, Harry, my true family returns. The air was suddenly full of the swishing of cloaks. Between graves, behind the yew tree, in every shadowy space, wizards were apparating. All of them were hooded and masked, and one by one they moved forward, slowly, cautiously, as though they could hardly believe their eyes. Voldemort stood in silence, waiting for them. Then one of the Death Eaters fell to his knees, crawled toward Voldemort, and kissed the hem of his black robes. Master, master, he murmured. The Death Eaters behind him did the same, each of them approaching Voldemort on his knees and kissing his robes, before backing away and standing up forming a silent circle which enclosed Tom Riddle's grave, Harry Voldemort, and the sobbing and twitching heap that was Wormtail. Yet they left gaps in the circle, as though waiting for more people. Voldemort, however, did not seem to expect more. He looked around at the hooded faces, and though there was no wind, a rustling seemed to run around the circle, as though it had shivered. "'Welcome, Death Eaters,' said Voldemort quietly. 
It doesn't seem like there's very many of them. I know. I like you've given the impression that it's a circle of like ten. Like yeah. you're and with like maybe ten spaces missing for ones that are like gone. So are these just the higher ups? Because I thought the Death Eaters are kind of this mass movement. I did too. I guess this must be kind of like the Grand Wizard. Literally. Level. Like this yeah. is like the like the senior leadership team of the Death Eater organization. It's not like everyone. Overall, like they're fucking lame, right? Yeah. I just they're sort of cartoonishly obsequious. Like they come and like literally like kind of like shimmy up to the him on their knees and like kiss his robe. They're, at the same time, they're very clearly like, oh, like it's kind of weird that you're back. Like we weren't actually super stoked for this to happen. <laughs> we like have to be here kind of because now that we can tell you're back, we don't want you to like hunt us down. But like. Nobody really wants to be at this party. Well, this sort of Peter writ large. It kind of makes sense because, like, these are the ones that avoided capture by, like, disavowing him. Right. Well, he's calling them on that. Yeah. And he's right about that. Uh, except what did he expect? If nobody had disavowed him, he'd have nobody showing up to his rebirthday party. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. His, like, expectations are just, like, really insane. And, like, I guess what would a supervillain be if he didn't have, like, totally absurd expectations of his, like, stooges and lackeys? Yeah. But it's just like, dude, like, obviously, the people that are left are the people I, that, like, kind of, like, worm-tailed their way out of, like, actually having yeah, any fucking the, consequences this for their This is actions. the B team, man. Yeah, that's the thing. And it's very obviously the B team. Like, Crab and Goyle's parents are there. Right. First of all, it's weird. It's, like, pretty sexist that other than Bellatrix, it's, like, all dudes. Well, maybe Voldemort's sexist. Well, obviously. Well, yeah. Sorry, that's like a that's like the hottest hot feminist take. Like, why aren't there any female Death Eaters? Like, I just feel like women can be just as evil as men. So apologies for that take. But really, it's like they're all dudes. It's probably really hard to uh... raise a family and be a Death Eater. Like, there's just a lot. It's like really hard to lean in to this organization. Unless you're like... Bellatrix, who's more of a guy's gal. <laughs> Word. She's like, I don't really get along with other witches. Um, uh, I'm more of a guy's. I'm more of a guy's gal. I have a question. So, he hit the like bat signal or whatever on the dark mark by pressing the tattoo. Uh-huh. Everybody got the like, what? This is the '90s, so like the beeper call or whatever. They just had to drop everything and go. That seems like a really unsubtle way to return if you're trying to be low-key about it. It's like, oh, so the moment Harry Potter disappeared, all of a sudden, everybody who seemed kind of sketchy also had a really urgent meeting to go to all over the wizarding world. Yeah, it's like utterly unsubtle. But I don't think he wants to be subtle. Also, like... A thing about evil is they want it to be really fucking inconvenient because that's how you like prove your loyalty. Right, right. Yeah, you could. But call- it is funny that it's like, oh, Harry Potter, he's been in that maze a really long time. Also, all of a sudden. Lucius Malfoy's like, I got to go on a target run. <laughs> <laughs> Word, yeah. So Lucius Malfoy's there. That's pretty scary. Just to be like, oh, yeah, no, that bully, there's his dad. And we learn that he was, in fact, in charge of the Death Eater march at the World Cup. Well, in charge is pushing it. He orchestrated it sort of like... For funsies. Yeah. He wasn't... I mean, he wasn't like the fucking grand marshal of like a planned parade. I do like that Voldemort kind of immediately ribs him for just the essential lameness that the 
seems to be the hallmark of all the Malfoys. He's he like, was, I guess this was fun. Yeah, but he was like, that looked like fun. Couldn't you have maybe been working toward getting me a body? <laughs> yeah, come on, bro. McNair is there, and they have a really weird exchange. McNair, as we remember, was the executioner in Buckbeak's case. Voldemort says, so I hear you're uh, killing animals for the ministry now. I'm going to find you better stuff to kill. And McNair's like, thank you, master. And I just, it seems, it's not that subtle that every Death Eater is just this, like, sketchball creepster even lucius malfoy who is sort of respectable but he's not that respectable to the world he's still like going to evil buffalo exchange or whatever what's the name of that store again (laughs) i forget like he's always shopping and crag or something (laughs) he's always shopping in nocturne alley you know like the dude is up to no good mcnair i'm assuming people were had suspicions that he was a Death Eater. Lord Voldemort fell. He's like, well, damn, I guess I better get myself a real job now. I just can't be, like, doing, like, an evil internship for my whole life. So he goes to the Ministry of Magic, and he says, do you have any positions where your job is just to kill animals, like creatures? And they're like, yeah, you seem like a pretty good applicant. Yeah. He's like, I'm really good with an axe. Oh, my Uh, God. I like killing innocent things. And they're like, sweet. We have a just the job for you. Yeah, we actually happen to have an opening. <laughs> we have something called the Committee for the Disposal of Dangerous Creatures. Yeah. Wow. I, I, I Match made in heaven. And then just like, yeah, there's adult Crab and Goyle who they just seem like bigger versions of little Crab and Goyle. They're like dumb sons. Yeah, they have like kind of dumb voices. Harry notices. I, I don't know. Well, so there's actually one line that I thought was like really it piqued my interest and it like it's a good foreshadowing line that I had forgotten was in here. He's talking about the three that are missing. And he's like, one of them is my faithful servant. It's like a riddle almost. He's like, one was just too a Tom much riddle. of a ha. He's like, one was too much of a bitch to even show up. That's Karkarov. Right. One is my faithful servant. And one, it seems, has left us forever and he shall be killed, which is Snape. Right. Which is just like such a creepy moment. It's Ugh. just like, well, first of all, it's interesting that Voldemort knows that Snape is like out of the picture for real as well. But then Snape returns to him yeah, at the end not, of this book. Not actually. Right. Like it's all a fucking ploy. And I think Voldemort knows that all along. No, he's shocked by it at the end of book seven. Is he really? Mm-hmm. Wow, he's an idiot. He's like, God damn it. Well, because like it's I very, knew he like, was always talking about that Lily chick, but <laughs> but it's also just like he knows in this moment he's like I think he's pretty not a Death Eater anymore, and then Snape is like No, yeah, I am, and Vol- Voldemort's like Oh yeah, okay, cool. That Never shows mind. how slick Snape is. Snape is slick, but Voldy is an idiot. Also, I, he's I, just like not paying very much attention to his like lackeys, and that's the thing. That's like, his weakness. He's right. obsessed with himself and his right. own like what he. It's all about Voldemort's thing. And he's not paying attention to what the rest of them are doing. So, like, a lot of the rest of them are, like, fucking up. And he's just, like, or, like, you know, undercover, as in Snape's case. And he's just, like, not really noticing, like, the fairly obvious signs that, like, Snape is, like, definitely still on Dumbledore's side, at least to some extent. (laughs) Final quibble on this Death Eater board meeting. So they all have to show up in cloaks and masks. 
but then Voldemort uses their first and last names. Yeah. Aren't they all supposed to be secret? Karkarov in the flashbacks, like, we always operated in the greatest secrecy. And, and then like, they all show up and Voldemort's like, hello, Lucius Malfoy, social security number, like, <laughs> 300, two, two, uh, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. In this scene, it's just hard to see, like, what they see in him. I guess he's the baddest wizard on the block and they share political goals, which is reducing privileges for muggle-borns and, like, restoring pure-blood supremacy. Yeah, I get that, but it's just, like, I mean, I guess this is how I know that I'm not, like, really super prone to joining a cult because this just sounds really unpleasant. Like, the whole thing, I'm just like, just leave. Like, this guy sucks. Yeah. Well, so, they're, they're afraid of him. No, I know. I mean, and that makes sense. But it's just like, these are normal people. And you are like, I mean, they're not. But they are. These are like With regular. the exception of McNair. That guy's a crazy fuck. Well, I mean, they're all pretty bad. But like, I mean, they've lived like at least like sort of next to normal lives for like 13 years. And they're summoned back. And they're immediately like cracking up as he tortures a child. Ugh, yeah. It's just like. I don't know. It's just how, like, how do you, like, make that transition so fast into your old, like, abject evil, like, self? It's just, like, I I don't know, man. Also, you got to look at yourself and think, hmm, I am laughing my ass off as a kid is, like, wand boarded or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Like, what are my choices? Yeah, I I should reexamine my life. They all might be laughing because the guy next to them is laughing. Yeah. So that's sort of cultish behavior. That's the deal. You know? Peer pressure. Yeah, so speaking of the kid that they're laughing at the torture of, Harry is so fucking badass in these chapters. Yeah, he endures successively all three unforgivable curses. Of course, the killing curse doesn't hit him because magic. But... Yeah, but even the trauma of having the killing curse like wishing toward you is enough to make you like give up and just be like, yeah, fucking kill me. I can't. I just can't do this yeah. anymore. I mean, he gets, uh, yeah, he gets fucking crucioed. And he's like, he comes out of it, like, still pretty clear-eyed and, like, clear-headed. Like, he doesn't let it, like, stop him from, like, figuring out what the fuck to do next. And then it's actually a really awesome scene when he resists the Imperius curse. I love because that part. Voldemort is clearly, like, truly shaken. And the Death Eaters, too. They stop laughing. Right. When they're like, oh, fuck. They're like, wow, this kid might be for real. Yeah, (laughs) most powerful wizard ever is casting an unforgivable curse. And Harry's like, I shan't, but thanks. (laughs) No, no, I'm good. It's crazy. (laughs) I'm just, like, really proud of him in these moments. And then, of course, like, the fucking craziest thing of all the crazy things, these, like, fucking wand shenanigans there's some serious metaphysics here which are i don't it's cool i guess it's like a big it's like climactic it's surprising because you are thinking like how the hell is harry gonna get out of this but it's wild it's like it's like the end of 2001 a space odyssey when like all of a sudden you were in a regular movie now you're in a psychedelic light show and it's like is Harry about to become the star child here? What's going on? <laughs> yeah. That's a 60s movie, not That's an 80s true. movie. And you are. The whole time you're like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> like, this had sort of like a clear thrust to it. And then all of a sudden we're in a laser cage. And like, there's this Phoenix seems... song. like I know. It is. It's basically a rave in a graveyard, which is fucking cool. That's what Phoenix song sounds like. Yeah, it is. And it fills him with joy. <laughs> Harry's just really fucking into like EDM. DJ Fox. 
And we get the explanation later from Dumbledore. Even that, like it's not crazy that satisfying. There's some crazy wand, crazy wand science. I just like she wrote this scene because this is the first time wands have had this particular, like wands have had this weird like sci-fi like, Tron like <laughs> it's just like wait that's an 80s movie it's true uh it's also a, like a 2015 remake that's true um i haven't seen either one i just know the aesthetics wow, of you've them. never seen tron no. this is straight out of tron it kind of is i can tell that from just like seeing like clips but so we made fun of harry a lot for this but because he only knows one spell he's like oh fuck we went to dueling club and all i learned was expelliarmus so i guess i better just try expelliarmus that's and a it, good spell in this case well it also turns out he only needs to know one spell period because he could have said anything he could have done like the jelly legs curse and like the only thing that needed to happen was that their wand tips needed to meet <laughs> the jelly legs jinx would have been hilarious if he just came out with like the joke curses and he's like jellio or and whatever eat slugs and like, Voldemort whoa, 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 just like, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Voldemort just like vomit slugs. All of a sudden, and it the becomes like slapstick. Like, ah. <laughs> he only needs to know one curse because they have this crazy like wand partnership, and anything that he says is going to create this like neato laser bond. Um, what is the bead of light going back and forth? Is that the Priori Incantatum curse, like trying to decide which wand to go into? I think it's. Yeah, it's something like that. It doesn't and then it goes make in, any sense. Harry, like, forces that shit up into, like, Voldemort's tip or whatever. Ugh. It is cool that, like, it comes down to Harry's, like, willpower. Like, I like that it doesn't really matter how much magic he knows because the, like, the real magic is within or whatever, which is really lame when I put it that way. But, like, Harry doesn't need to know a bunch of fucking words. He just needs to have the, like, personal, like, power and fortitude to just, like, stay the course, which is exactly what Harry Potter has. Like, this is, like, firmly in his wheelhouse. And I like the fear in Voldemort's face I when he too. starts to realize that this was not what he planned. He thought it was going to be easy because it's a 14-year-old kid. But instead, he's thinking to himself, I picked the wrong day to stop drinking unicorn blood. Yeah, he's like, oh, shit, wait, this might go really, really south. It kind of doesn't matter. Like, we do know, to be fair, that he doesn't actually have to kill Harry in order for this to work. Like, he's not going to lose his body or anything. He's just, like, really ready to have Harry out of the way. And he's going to use Harry as this, like, he's like, this is my proof point. This is my proof of concept that I'm back. Like, we're going to easily kill this child. And then the fucking Death Eaters are like, ooh, but you're not. You're, like, really not. That's what I wonder. When this thing goes so horribly south... There's the crazy light show, which everyone is witnessing. Voldemort is obviously panicking. Then, like, the shades of his former victims, like, literally throw shade at him and get, like, in his face so he can't get at Harry. And then Harry escapes against all odds. How does that not blow Voldemort's credibility with all the Death Eaters? He showed up, very dramatically summoned them all, says, I'm going to prove to you all now that I am the biggest most badass wizard ever by killing a child and yeah, which, then first of all, it's like this fucking... is how you're gonna demonstrate that you're amazing you're gonna kill a 14 year old and then he fails at that how are they not all thinking now damn maybe harry potter is invincible yeah. maybe voldemort actually sucks he can't kill harry potter why are they all still with him after this and then like there's this like almost sort of like slapstick comic scene <laughs> as he like breaks the 
connection with the wand and he just like fucking books it through the graveyard and they're like kind of like da 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 Benny Hill like just like shooting curses in all directions and Voldemort is like wait wait let me do it and they're just like and Harry's just like fucking army crawling between the the headstones and it's just like you guys like can't do anything right it is the B team and Harry ran as he had never run in his life, knocking two stunned Death Eaters aside as he passed. He zigzagged behind headstones, feeling their curses following him, hearing them hit the headstones. He was dodging curses and graves, pelting towards Cedric's body, no longer aware of the pain in his leg, his whole being concentrated on what he had to do. Stun him! He heard Voldemort scream. Ten feet from Cedric, Harry dived behind a marble angel to avoid the jets of red light and saw the tip of its wing shatter as the spells hit it. Gripping his wand more tightly, he dashed out from behind the angel. Impedimenta! He bellowed, pointing his wand wildly over his shoulder at the Death Eaters running at him. From a muffled yell, he thought he had stopped at least one of them, but there was no time to stop and look. He jumped over the cup and dived as he heard more one blasts behind him. More jets of light flew over his head as he fell, stretching out his hand to grab Cedric's arm. Stand aside! I will kill him! He is mine! Shrieked Voldemort. It is obviously. If Bellatrix Lestrange would be there, she'd be like, fuck this wand shit, give me a knife. Well, I can throw knives extremely accurately. Yeah, no, she would. Bellatrix Lestrange would easily have killed him. Well, it's also like, it kind of sucks that Barty Crouch Jr. isn't there because he's like the only one with any fucking sense, it seems like. He should have just like come with just yeah. to like make sure everything went off without a hitch. It's like, damn it, we should have had our event coordinator like on site. Because, yeah. like, this shit is going down. So the wand physics are kind of crazy and confusing. But the scene where Voldemort's previous victims start to materialize, that's really powerful. It's really moving because you really believe after Cedric dies, you're like, oh, fuck. Like, Harry is in this, like, totally alone. And, like, nobody's coming to save him. And nobody is going to even be with him when he dies. And that's, like, really devastating to think of Harry just like in this graveyard surrounded by these his evil adult enemies with like not even like a, a kind face to like look into as he gets fucking Avada Kedavra and instead he has his parents it's like really telling of his like the stuff he's made of that he doesn't even stop to be like can I just like have a minute with you guys they're just like no honestly get the fuck out of here like we'll talk later yeah well that's one of the overarching messages in these books is that you're never alone. Yeah, well, Harry's, Harry's certainly never constantly alone. reminded of that. Help will always come to those who need it at Hogwarts. Well, and just the uh, that people love you. That's the better lesson. Yeah, and the people that love you will find you through space and time and life and death, which is really a beautiful message. And it like kind of like I think it's what gives Harry the strength to like really get out of there is he's just like okay I have not just current alive people counting on me but I have the whole of like wizarding history like all the people whose lives were lost to like save me and save like the future are like still relying on me to like make that happen and so he has this like really intense like mandate to like get through it because they're like look like so many people sacrificed their lives so that your generation would like could live outside of this shadow. Like you have to make that sacrifice like worth it. I think that's like what he's seeing. 
he's like watching all these people who sacrificed their lives for him like including Cedric and having to just be like this cannot be in vain who's your unsung hero my unsung hero is motherfucking Frank Bryce more screams of pain from the wand and then something else emerged from its tip the dense shadow of a second head quickly followed by arms and torso an old man Harry had seen only in a dream was now pushing himself out of the end of the wand, just as Cedric had done. And his ghost, or his shadow, or whatever it was, fell next to Cedric's and surveyed Harry and Voldemort and the golden web and the connected ones with mild surprise, leaning on his walking stick. He was a real wizard then, the old man said, his eyes on Voldemort. Killed me, that one did. You fight him, boy. I love this guy. He shows up. He's like, well, I guess I'm a spell ghost now. I'm down with that. Fuck you, Lord Voldemort. He's, he's like, like <laughs> he, I love he's like, oh, this is the guy that killed me. Hey, kid, give him hell. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I guess awesome. he was a wizard. I'm a spell ghost. He's leaning on his cane. One thing it describes, they're whispering encouragement to Harry as they circle Harry and Voldemort, and then they're hissing things Harry can't hear at Voldemort. What are they saying? Are they like, hey, bada, 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 hey, wizard, 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 yeah, spell wizard, cast that spell wizard, to quote the the Brian Regan joke. Yeah, they're very like, I love the idea that they're just heckling him. Frank Bryce is like a baseball fan, or like a cricket fan, I guess, and he's just like, he's heckling. Football, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, you know he's got some, he was in the war, you know he's got some salty language. He's just like, who ate all the pie? (laughs) You wanker. (laughs) I love it. Mine are the rat friends that Peter Pettigrew makes, because these poor guys, they're just like innocent rats who are like, hey man, do not go into that forest. There's some fucked up shadow that keeps occupying us and then draining us of our life force. And then Peter Pettigrew is like, ah, thanks. I guess I won't go in there. Psych. But these poor rats are just like trying to live their little rat lives and like trying to like give each other like a friendly heads yeah, it's up. Yeah, a tip. It's like pro tip. Don't go into the scary dark nook in the forest. Uh, so I guess being an animagus does allow you to talk to animals. It wasn't clear to me that Crookshanks and Sirius were having like conversations, but I guess they were. Maybe it's more of like a baseline understanding. And it's less like no, I think it's like conversation like rat sentences. Well, no. that makes parcel tongue like sort of less impressive. Well, parcel tongue is only impressive because it's like evil talking to animals, right? Like, and you're not an animal yourself. No, exactly. You're talking to them as a human. Okay, so you can't just you have to become a rat to speak rat. Because you know, like, like Professor McGonagall can like communicate with other cats. <gasps> she but can as a ask cat. Mrs. Norris what the deal oh, is. Oh my god, maybe Mrs. Norris. And Professor McGonagall, like, hang. They're secret friends. I really hope that's Just true. Just cat friends. We've, like, returned to Mrs. Norris in a couple of episodes in a row, which I'm really excited about because she's my permanent unsung hero. Or they have cat fights. There you Ha ha. <laughs> All right. This week's episode is brought to you by the Expelliarmus curse. Is it a curse? A charm? It's a charm. The Expelliarmus spell. The multi-tool of spells. The audiobook. Clips that you heard are courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio. They are from Jim Dale's performance of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Um, We would love it if you would leave us five stars and some nice, sweet little comments on Apple Podcasts, if you would be so kind. Please also go and tell a friend or loved one or 
you know, uh, someone you feel kind of ambivalent about or even an enemy <laughs> who is a Harry Potter fan about this great podcast and maybe you will mend fences because they will be so grateful that you told them to listen to The Quibbler. Bringing people together through Harry Potter. Exactly. That's what it does best. We are on the socials. You can find us at Quibbler Podcast, various places. You can email us at quibblerpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, that's where to find us. Next week, we're reading just one chapter, but it's a doozy. We will be reading Veritaserum. So, see you then. Hope you can handle the truth. (laughs) Thanks, amigos! The wood beneath his fingers grew so hot he feared it would burst into flame. The closer that bead moved, the harder Harry's wand vibrated. It felt as though it was about to shatter under his fingers. There was this alien dude from Dimension X named Krang. Well, he was this war criminal who'd been banished to Earth and had his body taken away. So he was using Shredder to build him a new bot. Surely one of my faithful Death Eaters would try and find me. One of them would come and perform the magic I could not, to restore me to a body. Shredder! Why haven't you completed my new body? I was as powerless as the weakest creature alive, and without the means to help myself, for I have no body. I have given you vast technical knowledge, but you have not fulfilled your half of the bargain. My legions are waiting in Dimension X to storm into this world and crush it. All I lack is a body. A body which you have failed to provide for me.